Good morning. It's Esty here from SA Natural Products, the home of living naturally. And as always, I've got Dr. David Nodia sitting here opposite me. Welcome, Dr. Dave. Thank you, Esty. Good to be back again. He's the head of the medical and research department of SA Natural Products and also a person that gives us so much information here at Living Naturally. One of the people that writes many of our articles, but more so the information given on the podcast. And thank you for it, Dr. Dave. Today, we've got a very sensitive topic, is what I want to call it. Also something that we have to talk about, and it's called Alzheimer's. I believe that the person that will be listening to this podcast will be a person that either knows someone that has it, can be a friend, family member, or it might be a person that has the first signs of it. They've just been diagnosed with it, so it's in the first stage, and they're asking the questions, what now? So yes, Mm. my first question to you is, what is it? Okay, so Alzheimer's is falls under an umbrella syndrome called dementia. So if you're going to talk about Alzheimer's, you need to take a step back and understand the term dementia. So medically, dementia is a syndrome of a group of conditions that basically are characterized by degeneration of the brain. So what does that mean? It means the brain progressively deteriorates, and this can be measured physically. We will talk about that. But it's associated with, you know, decrease in intellectual capacity, actual nerve cells that atrophy and die off. Okay, so atrophy means dying off. Correct. Degenerate and die off. And it's also associated with actual shrinkage of brain tissue over time. So there's a structural component. But in terms of symptoms, dementia is associated with a specific set of symptoms. And these are normally symptoms that affect the the memory, um, how you think, how you behave, and can even affect your emotion. So dementia is this umbrella term, and Alzheimer's is the most common type of dementia. There are others. So that is what it is. Who can get it? If you're looking specifically at Alzheimer's, of all the types of dementia, Alzheimer's is about 60 to 80%. And each one of these types of dementia have their own risk factors associated with it. But essentially, anyone can get it. It's obviously more common in patients over the age of 65 although you can get early onset Alzheimer's, but it's far more rare. You're normally talking about older patients, and there are specific risk factors that are associated with dementia in general, not just Alzheimer's, but the umbrella term dementia. And um, these risk factors are, you know, there, there are some lifestyle factors, there are some, there's genetic factors as well. But most specifically, if we look at the, the common risk factors, obviously increasing age is a risk factor. A family history, so of Alzheimer's or another form of dementia, but it's also their lifestyle factors. For example, um, heavy drinkers are at higher risk, smokers are at higher risk, and then anything that can cause damage to the blood vessels or the cardiovascular system. So something like hardening of the arteries, something we, we know as arteriosclerosis, this can also increase your risk of getting certain types of dementia. Then the stroke must too. Well, stroke, yeah. In fact, there's a type of dementia called vascular dementia, which is caused by many silent strokes or mini strokes. And each time you get one of these, it causes damage to certain parts of the brain. So so there's cardiovascular risk factors as well. And then anything that can increase your risk of getting cardiovascular disease, so things like diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, all of these can further increase your risk as well. 
Um, sure, this net is very wide. It's, it's, it's wide. So essentially you're dealing with a, a, a syndrome that is a combination of genetic factors, lifestyle factors, and environmental factors. And yes, there are genetic reasons for Alzheimer's and types of dementia, but only about 1% of patients um, develop Alzheimer's purely because of a genetic inheritance. So the genetics play a role, but it's normally this combination of things that leads to it. Would the genetic be there and the combination of things be the trigger? Yeah, so there could be a genetic susceptibility. It uh, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get Alzheimer's. Correct. So, for example, there's a specific type of gene that they've identified. If you get a copy from both your mother and your father, your risk is higher, but mm. you're not guaranteed of getting it. Yes. You need the gene and you need the risk factors. Yes. And then you need to switch them on. Correct. And that usually happens, it can happen in men and in women, and it can happen any time from the age of 60, but mostly it's 65 and on. Correct. Alzheimer's is a disease that you get as you're getting older. There's dying that happens in the brain itself. Mm -hmm. Depending on where it happens in the brain, you are affected in different ways. Because if it's in the frontal area, it affects your body, your whole body and your, and your being different than what it is to the left or the right or the back or in the center of the brain. Is it something you can test? Is it something that you can detect when you are in your 50s to say, I'm on my way there? There are genetic testings and profiling that you can do. They're very expensive, but the technology is available. But this is not the only risk factor, as we've, as we've discussed. And then there are other assessments. So if you suspect that you are developing Alzheimer's or you're showing some of the early symptoms, then there's specific protocols and assessment tools that are available. So firstly, you know, you need to see a neurologist mm. because they have all the tools and the different methods for, for testing for this. So this could include obviously getting the medical history, physical examination, um, oh. neurological examinations, which are, are useful. And MRI. And then, of course, you get the scans. Yes. So you get, you get MRI, CT scans, and even some types of PET scans are used as well, okay. where they actually image the brain and also measure the blood flow to the brain, which is really important, especially if you have, for example, something called vascular dementia. Mm. So there are all those sort of imaging techniques, and there's cognitive tests that you actually do with the doctor that measures your thinking ability, your response time, short-term memory, and things like that. So there are established tools that will help you assess for this. So I am hearing from you, unless you go for the very expensive genetic testing to see whether you are carrying those genes that can be switched on, you actually just have to wait and see. And if you start to show first signs of it, which we'll talk about now, what are those? Um, is it just, oh, why did I go to the fridge to look inside? Oh, I've driven somewhere. What was it my wife said that I needed to buy again? You need to look at specific signs. So once you, you are noticing and you're ticking a few boxes to say, yes, I'm starting to feel the following way. Now you only go into a matter of, right, what must I do? So we have to wait. Well, if you are at risk and if you know the risk factors, of course, and you eliminate those risk factors as far as possible, then it's about preventing it from happening, Yes, of course, as well. And that would be the first prize. And what do we do there? How do we do it? What are, what are those signs? That's the first thing that I want to ask. And then secondly, what can I do to not get it? Is it possible if it is in me that I can get it to not get it? And is it in me that if I do have the first signs that I start treatment of some sort that it does not progress? 
Yeah. So the first thing I think is important to learn, what are the causes? What are the risk factors? Okay. For example, we've discussed poor cardiovascular health and heart health. So if you are someone who's already got some degree of hardening of arteries, for example, that is a risk factor. Research also shows that if you're in a scenario where you're not getting enough mental stimulation, for example, or not enough um, social stimulation, that's also a risk factor. And this is ironic because a lot of older patients who are in care homes and so on might not be getting enough stimulation, and that could further actually increase their risk. Um, And then, of course, all the lifestyle things. So overconsumption of alcohol is definitely a risk factor. Smoking is a risk factor. Um, Not enough exercise is a risk factor. And then very interestingly, inadequate sleep. So there's research that shows that while you're sleeping, your brain actually has a mechanism by which it clears toxins. And one of the toxins that actually cause Alzheimer's is something called beta amyloid, which is a toxin we all produce in our brains, but this is linked to the development of Alzheimer's. And interestingly, your brain clears these toxins out while you are sleeping. So if you're someone who is chronically sleep-deprived for years and years and years who's battled with sleep, that's also an increased risk factor for developing um, dementia and Alzheimer's. Other things that are risk factors, head trauma, that's a risk factor as well. Firstly, understand are you at risk and also know your family history. And then if you are, then there's specific things you can actively do to prevent this from developing, which I think intervention-wise we'll touch on in a, in a few minutes. So those are the risk factors. Those yep. are the things. So sleep, look yep. at the importance of sleep. So that's the one thing that we can all try and do better. And in order to sleep well, we need to drink enough water throughout the day, eat a healthy, balanced diet, have a healthy routine, apply our sleep hygiene. And here I want to refer everybody back to our podcast that we did on sleep, where we specifically spoke about what the cycles are in sleep and why they are important. And Dr. Dave goes in depth there about the importance of sleep. And so few people today, Dr. Dave, sleep properly. We've now learned that the best sleep is the sleep that you have before midnight. Mm. But we all have the stresses of today, the noises of today, the lifestyle challenges that we all face today. And it affects sleep so much. And I'm wondering if the severity and the occurrence of Alzheimer's today is because of this one single factor only, and that is how people are sleeping. My next question to you is, what about the person that now can't sleep in the early hours of the morning, but I'm now in my 60s, 70s, 80s, and then a cat nap throughout the day? What does that do to the brain? Ironically, as you correctly say, as we get older, a lot of patients start developing sleep problems. And a lot of times it's waking too early. And that's because their melatonin, which is their sleep hormone, levels are decreasing with age. So what they do is they wake up you know, spontaneously at three, four in the morning, and then they're wide awake, they start their day so much earlier. So the knock-on effect of that is, is that by, you know, middle of the next day, they, they then nap during the day. And so they get into this repetitive, poor sleep patterns or cycles. And the irony is that if you're not sleeping properly, you're not clearing this, the very toxin yes. that damages your brain and drives Alzheimer's and dementia. So what's important, just to put that in a bracket, because for more information on sleep, go to our sleep podcast, yep. is the following. In 24 hours, your body as an adult needs seven to eight, maybe nine hours of sleep. And you can't split it over a few hours in a day. 
to make it up over 24 hours. It has to be in a process because you go through stages of sleep. It's about the quality of sleep and the consistency of going into stage 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 that actually cleans the brain from the beta amyloid. Beta amyloid, yep. And the beta amyloid needs to leave the, the brain. It needs to circulate out of the brain. And that happens in proper sleep at night. Then the second thing is look at your diet. Do not overconsume on alcohol. Do not smoke. Mm. If you are a cardiac person, address it. Do, don't think that the cardiac problem, high blood pressure problem, only affects your heart. Mm. It affects the whole body, including the center of the body, which is the brain. And if this brain is being harmed, you can't go and reverse it. You don't want to get there. So be a, a good patient by seeing your homeopathic doctor with your cardiologist and let the two speak to one another to, to provide you with the best treatment for what you require. So now my next question to you is, what can I do to not get it? Mm. So understand the risk factors and address those mm. so that we've just discussed. And then, you know, there are, some, there are certain interventions which you can address early. Firstly, um, if you look at diet, you mentioned diet. There's specific diets that have been researched that help to protect the brain. Mm. And one is called the MAN diet. And this is what called the Mediterranean DASH intervention for neurodegenerative delay. Basically, it's abbreviated as MIND diet, M-I-N-D. But effectively, the MIND diet emphasizes daily green leafy vegetables, okay, at least one serving a day, and then all other veg vegetables, two servings a day, and importantly, berries, because berries have antioxidants at least twice a week, so that's very important. Nuts, very particular, because nuts have got the essential fatty acids, which the brain need for their health and raw, brain cells need. Raw, unsalted. Yeah, ideally, and that's five servings a week, so it's quite a bit of nuts. Sure. Olive oil daily, okay, so that's your number one oil is olive oil. Whole grains, okay, so that's unrefined grains, three servings a day, at least once a week fish. Okay, beans four times a week and poultry twice a week. The things that are de-emphasized is red meat and dairy products. You don't have to cut them out completely, but they are deprioritized. You can find all this information online. So mind diet, very specifically designed to protect the brain and give the brain the particular nutrients, protective nutrients it needs to slow down this degenerative change. So this diet gives the brain extra amounts of vitamin E folate, your omega-3, which is your essential fatty acids, your carotenoids, which are antioxidants, and your flavonoids, which are antioxidants. So it's this is what you're getting by eating those groups of food. So number one, get the diet right. You will find that specifically the things that are out are sugar and sweets, very small amounts of alcohol, and then definitely no fried foods and excessive red meat and dairy. So those are the things that are de-emphasized. So mind diet, definitely something to think about. And then specifically, yeah, you need to support your body's ability to remove any waste products. So we've spoken about the beta amyloid. So, of course, in order to remove waste, you need to support your elimination organs, so liver and kidneys. And one of the key tools that they need is obviously water intake. You know, if you're chronically dehydrated, you're not going to detoxify either. Mm -hmm. So just some other general points. Um, and then there's specific interventions that, um, and, and, and supplements that have research behind them in this context. I'd like to specifically mention Biostrath, which has got two clinical trials for cognitive decline. 
and then there were two other products. But looking at Biostrath, if I can mention that at this point. Yes, because there was a study done on pre-Alzheimer's. Correct. So, so which tells me I don't yet have it, but I could become it. Yes. So that's sort of early stage. Okay. So they had in 184 patients, it was a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled study, so it's at the highest level of, of rigor. And they found where they treated patients with biostrath over three months versus placebo, that a significant increase in short-term memory capacity, which is one of the key features in cognitive decline and in dementia, short-term memory loss. So three months, which is fairly quick, a significant effect over compared to placebo in terms of short-term memory. And then the Alzheimer's study, 75 patients, also randomized, double-blind, and placebo-controlled. And they measured these patients with a tool that measures overall what they call geriatric profile. And what they found particularly is that the areas that improved were short-term memory, mental alertness, which is obviously related, Emotional stability, which is important because with cognitive decline, you also have a lot of psychological and emotional symptoms that creep in. So that's important. Depressed mood improved and apathy improved. So apathy is just stagnation, disinterest, not engaging, giving up. So these were areas that improved drastically um, on the biostrath compared to placebo. And in that study, what was the, the most interesting point was that the patients who improved the most were the patients over 70. Oh. The older patients had the greatest effect, which you would think it would be the other way around. But in actual fact, they had the greatest response. Greatest need, greatest effect. Correct. So that is definitely an intervention with clinical evidence supporting it, particularly in the older brain and the types of symptoms that occur there. And then the other, the other thing to think about, certainly in herbal medicine, is ginkgo biloba. And ginkgo biloba is a vascular tonic, meaning it supports the circulatory system, but it also particularly supports circulation to the brain. This is really relevant because, as we mentioned, with uh, cognitive decline and with dementia, particularly vascular dementia, it's related to poor blood flow to the brain. Ginkgo particularly supports blood flow. Opens it up. Opens it up. And it has an antioxidant effect as well in the circulatory system. So you can see how it's quite well placed for degenerative conditions of the brain. There's good evidence on ginkgo. And then, of course, omega-3s. We've touched on it. It's emphasized in the MIND diet. But the particular type of omega-3 is something called DHA. DHA, if you go and look at the literature on DHA, it's actually shown to be protective against Alzheimer's specifically. And how it does, it's actually protective against the buildup of that beta amyloid. So DHA is definitely something with good evidence. So something you want to supplement in your diet. So that's the other supplemental tool. And then, of course, any antioxidants are beneficial as well. But these three are the three that, for me, stand out the most. So the biostrat, the ginkgo, and then um, DHA particularly as a, as a form of omega-3. So when you're taking that DHA, please make sure that it is of the best, highest quality of, if it's in a fish oil form that you're taking it, that you're not taking something that's rancid, that's something that's off. So 
It is going to be expensive because omega-3 is not a cheap thing to purchase. If it is inexpensive on the shelf, you need to put a big question mark around that product. The quality DHA from a fish oil source is expensive, and that's the one that you want. It must not repeat on you. That's the one that you want. Otherwise, you can always look at the A. Vogel one. It's called Veg Omega-3, which is a completely vegan form of taking an omega-3, and it helps the body. It's ALA given to the body and your body converts it then to DHA within the system. So it's not already DHA when taken in. Your body actually converts it. That biostrath, I mean, it's just brain food. I'm thinking of the child that is now developing, the brain is developing, and how much it helps them and how much it helps a child that's suffering with ADD. And here we have the older brain that is aging and that is lacking in nutrients because the circulation just can't bring those nutrients there, and factors that have accumulated over many years, and this aging brain, how much they also benefit from Biostrath. It truly is just remarkable. So those products, you would follow the directions on the label, or would you go higher dose at first? What would you do? Well, the Biostrath clinical trials were the standard label dose. So they, the first study was three times a day. They did both the syrup and the tablets. So both have been shown to be effective, but it was the standard dose, adult dose. If I am on that list of I can get Alzheimer's, Biostrath would be in my cupboard and I would be using it every single day, at least twice a day. If you can't do that midday dose, if you can, all the better. Otherwise, just increase your dose in the morning and even get that quantity into your body over the day. And the same then with the ginkgo. Also, follow directions on the label. A. Vogel has got a beautiful ginkgo tablet as well as the ginkgo drops. It is your fresh plant extract. That with the mind diet and the lots of water and sleeping and avoiding the alcohol, the sugar, the red meat and the dairy products as much as possible, not smoking is a, is a way of life to help your brain to minimize it if it's possible that it will not get to that point mm. and to grow old gracefully and not be so fearful of this disease called Alzheimer's. So is this what you would also recommend to a person that actually comes and sees you that has been diagnosed with the first stage? Exactly. So I would definitely do that. And then, you know, there are also non-medicinal interventions that you can do for patients who have been diagnosed or at the you know, early stages. These include various things like social support networks, group activities, things that stimulate the brain. So it could be some sort of craft work or sewing or knitting or games that stimulate the brain. Movement, you have to encourage movement and prevent stagnation. So different types of of age-appropriate exercise that is really, really important. And there's certain types of exercises that promote coordination. Rather than just being a physical activity, then it requires judgment and thinking. So there's specific types of exercises there as well. And then other forms of stimulation. So like one of the light stimulation, music and pets, you know, things like that, that just, you know, um, that lead to the necessity of carrying out certain tasks like brushing or feeding or caring, caring that that's really important. Uh, and I mentioned various different creative things that can be encouraged as well in music. So there, there's science behind these things, but effectively the bottom line is that these activities cause stimulation. Um, which is very, very important because what happens is as patients move through the different stages of dementia, when they get to around about stage three or four, they, they lose their confidence. 
and then they isolate themselves because yeah. they're too afraid to engage. Yeah. They pull back. They, they pull back, and that is the worst thing they can do because that means less stimulation. So there are a lot of um, mind-body therapies and interventions which are well-researched as well. So don't stop. Exactly. Don't stop using your brain. Don't exactly. stop being creative. Don't stop being. Don't stop working. Don't stop doing things. Yeah. Don't sit and stop. We, we're not supposed to be just watching TV yeah. and, and playing games. You've got to use your brain. Correct. And, and then the other thing is, which is really important, is support structures. Yeah. So, I mean, we have uh, uh, um, in South Africa, we have the, um, the Alzheimer's South Africa group, which is you can go onto their website. There's a, a, it's an invaluable source of information. It's www.alzheimer's.org.za. And there you can actually find ways of connecting with support groups in your different provinces. And these are not just for the patient, but for the carers of the patient yes, and, and the, the family. family members. So to mm. teach them and educate them on how to help care for someone who's developing an understanding, um, and, understanding yeah. and, and techniques and different things that you can do. So, so that is really important. So you need that support structure. We have the dietary interventions. We have the supplements that are there as well. And, of course, you know, it's important to have a proper assessment. So make the referral to see a neurologist and, and get properly diagnosed as well because there are also other conditions that can look like Alzheimer's yes. that are not. Like so, what? So, well, there are other neurodegenerative conditions and neurological conditions. Okay. There are certain psychiatric conditions that can give you symptoms that could look like Alzheimer's or dementia but are not so the diagnosis needs to be made so yeah. that's really important as well okay so a neurologist is the person that does this diagnosis correct. properly correct and they know how to do it and then they can say to you which stage you are in correct and how many stages are there it goes from one through to seven okay. um, so there are quite a number of stages and essentially, it goes from extremely mild all the way through to, unfortunately, stage seven, where you cannot care for yourself. You can't, you can't feed yourself. You, you lose control of perhaps your bowel movements. Uh, it's, it, it's, so, so that's the, right at the end stage. So Alzheimer's is not a disease where you just lose your short-term memory. No, it's far more than that. And it, it's a process that happens over time. It's more than just memory. It's ability to conduct Basic daily tasks um, um, can become challenging. Okay. Um, and then a loss of independence yes. in terms of daily functioning as well. And that's where you're saying about that the person will need to be fed. Correct. And clothed and washed. And they usually have to wear nappies right at the end. Correct. Um, so that, that would be that, in the sort of the, that'll be the, final. the latter stages, yeah. yes. Dr. Dave, how does Alzheimer's compare to Parkinson's? Is there a connection? Can a Parkinson's person get Alzheimer's and vice versa? Yeah, so the, the research says that um, patients who are diagnosed and who have confirmed Parkinson's, um, a large portion of them within a matter of 10 years could start developing or acquire dementia. Okay. So if you get Parkinson's diagnosed, it's not a done deal, but happen. over the next 10 years, your risk of getting dementia are higher. But they are different conditions, but yes. there is an association. So uh, about three quarters of that, in fact, can eventually develop dementia after about 10 years. So but, that is a risk factor. Okay, so the dementia part that they can, but not all dementia is Alzheimer's. No, no. So we're using dementia as the umbrella term. Yes. So Parkinson's can lead to dementia yes. later. Um, and dementia can be Alzheimer's. Yes, is very Alzheimer's commonly. In some people. Yeah, okay. correct. Preventatively for 
person that's younger who has a family member that have it, we now know what to do. Correct. What are the signs? What are the signs that you've got to say, oh, I think there's something wrong. I need to go and see a Dr. Dave now or I need to go and see a neurologist. What do they need to look out for? This depends on, on the type you're developing. There is a little bit of variation depending on what type of dementia you have. But if you look overall, you're looking at memory loss. Okay, You're looking at... Uh, difficulty finding the right words when you're communicating in speech, difficulty understanding others, so, you know, out of context, perhaps difficulty performing routine daily tasks become a challenge. And then interestingly, but often missed, is personality and mood changes, which can develop as well. So this is the general areas where the symptoms present. But depending on the type of dementia that you get, there is some characteristic features that are linked with specific types. But generally looking at memory, looking at communication, looking at understanding um, others around you, performing tasks, especially when they require sort of a step-like approach, and then you see the shifting in personality and mood. Okay, so when you're saying performing tasks, they used to make up their bed. Correct. Now... They're not knowing how to do it. Yes. They need to Getting use, stuck. Now what yes, next? They yeah. need to use the bathroom and they're now making a mess in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And it's like, my mom was never like that. Why is she now messing in the bathroom? She was such a clean woman always. Yeah, so that's coordination. Yes. And, and That and, kind of things yeah. we're looking at. Okay. She went to the kitchen now to make a cup of tea, and but she left things out. Yeah. And when you ask her, then she looks at you. So we were... I think the world was mostly exposed to Alzheimer's um, through the movie The Notebook. And it was so sad that this man went to visit his wife every day in the care home and hoped that in that day, by him reading their story and telling her their story, that she would momentarily have these moments of memory and know who he is. And he lived for those moments. So, yes, it's a tear-jerking beautiful movie but it really showed us as a viewer and a person that has not been exposed to it what it can look like mm. and then how disorientated she would get and then he must now leave because I don't know who you are and and, and now the nurse that comes in that she's got a relationship with somehow in that state and at that stage is the only person that she's trusting why do they have those moments of remembering everything and then it's gone again Mm. Is it is it just what happens in the brain? Yeah, well, you just remember that the brain works un, with electricity. There's, it's in a, it, you know, you have neurons, which are the nerves, which are functioning with almost little electrical charges. So, and when that tissue becomes damaged, it's almost like short circuiting. So, you know, you could have potentially some sort of momentarily. Uh, moments of of reconnection where yes. things it's, so it's not fully understood. But you know when you look at the anatomy of the brain and you understand how nerve cells function, how the brain functions. I mean we're only scratching the surface of understanding how the brain functions. So it's a highly technical question, um, and to understand the exact sort of pathophysiology, you know me- medicine hasn't got there yet. So for the person whose mom or dad has it, they must go to the Alzheimer's. .org.za Educate themselves And get educated Get into support groups Understand what's going on Mm. See the neurosurgeon With your parent Let you know where they are Understand what is happening There would be obviously some medication that the doctor would give There are medications that can be helpful for sure Okay With that 
It's the mind diet. It's the biostress. It's the ginkgo. It's the it's the omega three. Those things can all be supportive. It's encouraging to drink water. It's encouraging to use the brain. Activities. Activity, yeah. even if it is just a little cat that is sitting on the person's lap and they're just loving this animal, but doing things and keeping that brain active. Those are things that one can do. So that is the person that is seeing it from the outside. Then that same child that's seeing this says, "I don't want to walk this road. What do I do? This is what you want to." do we've now shared all of that but it's so important is that sleep that sleep we've got to get our sleep patterns better and then for the person that's just been diagnosed you now also know what you can do that mind diet is so important and these products but keep yourself connected with your physician whether it is your homeopathic doctor with your neurologist and monitor what's going on do you think it's possible to keep a person at a stage and then they don't progress further it's certainly possible because although typically one in any chronic disease we'll you get worse over time because yes. you have with aging and so on. But, you know, there certainly in practice that I've seen patients who get to a certain point and then the, the, the evolution of the condition is significantly slower. So okay. it's not guaranteed that you're going to go there, especially if you take in, you know, do all the right interventions. So, yeah, that's possible. That is hope. Absolutely. That is that. good news. Mm. Because we often think when we get labeled with something, this is it. Mm. It's done. I am now just have to sit and wait mm. because it's now going to be done. No, there is hope. And this is the hope that we bring here on Living Naturally. Dr. Dave, very sensitive subject, but very important to talk about. Absolutely. And yes, it's your brain. Mm. It's the center that controls the rest of your body. And it's so important. It's our place of emotions. It's our place of memory. Is there anything else that we have not even touched that you've written down there because you've got many pages there? We can talk about, if you want to just quantify how common it is in South Africa, the statistics from the 2011 census estimated that there are probably about 2.2 million people in South Africa with dementia. So that was 2011. So you can imagine that figure is probably significantly higher. Mm. But if you look worldwide, uh, in 2013, they estimated about 44 million people. It's predicted that by 2030, there'd be as much as 76 million. And by 2050, and this is a guess, about 130 million people worldwide that have dementia. So it, it's it's fairly big numbers. In South Africa, they say roughly about a third of people over 85 will have some degree of dementia, okay, least early onset dementia. So when you get to that sort of age, and particularly something called mild onset cognitive decline, that's sort of pre-dementia, but that's part of the normal aging process. But dementia isn't. Dementia is at another level. So the brain is also something that gets older. Getting old is not for sissies, as I say. Mm. And we can do it well and healthy when we kick the, the lifestyle habits in earlier. And that is my greatest wish that the people will hear here today. So thank you for this. What an absolute pleasure to be able to speak about this. And and also, thank you for your article that you've written. So if a person does not want to listen to the whole podcast, there is, of course, the article. Or if you want to print out that article and go and give it to somebody that hasn't got time to listen to the podcast, it's available too. So thank you so much for this information. So that's from me, Esti Schreiber from SA Natural Products and Dr. David Nodier. Thank you so much.